Hi, everyone, and welcome to the CX Cast. I am Adele Sage, joined as always by Angelina Jenis. Hi, Angelina. Hey, Adele. We are coming at you with a repeat of an old episode because Angelina and I are both on vacation this week. Hooray! Not together. We're vacationing separately. But as a result, we do not have a brand new episode for you this week. So we are bringing back an old favorite from earlier this year. That's right. We are rerunning episode 250, Benchmark Customer Journeys to Drive Emotional Engagement. And this is where we see folks struggle with journey mapping. They aren't showing the so what, what really matters from the customer's point of view, which is emotion. And Joanna really walks us through this in a very easy to follow way. And the report that it's based on is one of my favorite reports to come out of Forrester so far this year. So we thought it would be a good one to feature. Well, Angelina, I hope you have a great week off. You as well. Thank you. And we will see you all back here with a new episode soon. Thanks, everyone. Today, we are joined by Joanna de Quintanilla, who is VP Principal Analyst on the CX team. Hey, Joanna. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course. And we have a long history of working on journey mapping reports together. And there's always more to say about journey mapping. And that's why you're here today. So you're going to tell us about a newer report, which is called Benchmark Customer Journeys to Drive Emotional Engagement. I think we're all curious how there is still more to say about journey mapping. Why did you feel the need to write this report? That's a great question. And yes, there is always more to say about journey mapping. (laughs) In all seriousness, the impetus for this report came from from two areas, really. So two questions that we were trying to address. One, yes, we know customer journeys are important. We know that mapping customer journeys are important. We also know that emotion is really important for customer experience. We know that emotion drives loyalty the most. But we are still, or many companies struggle, to connect emotion to the tangible experiences that happen in customer journeys. So part of what we were trying to answer was how do we get more granular in our understanding of how emotion impacts customer experience and more specifically discrete customer journeys. So that was one thing that we were trying to address. So not looking at emotion at the brand level or relationship level, but looking, taking sort of one click down, more granular, looking at emotion at the journey level. The other thing that we were trying to do, and this was a question that kept on coming up in client calls and in inquiry, which was, tell me what good looks like. I'm mapping my mortgage journey. I am mapping my onboarding journey, right? Whatever it is, tell me what good looks like. What are companies that do really well, that design journeys well in this area? What are they doing that is different? And in order to answer that question, what does good look like? We knew that we had to look more deeply at the emotion within customer journeys. So benchmarking customer journeys, looking at how emotion drives engagement was our way of answering that question for our clients, which is what does good look like for different types of customer journeys? So that's that's why more journeys, more journey mapping. <laughs> I was going to say, and this, you say all journeys, this applies to every industry, private, public sector. It's not just for the B2C brands. 
Absolutely not. It applies to every industry. And in fact, so one of the central tenants or one of the places where we got started with this research was actually looking at different types of journeys. Like, could we come up with a way to segment journeys into different types based on complexity and based on the intensity of the emotion? And if you think about complexity and intensity and you were to plot that on a two by two framework, literally, you would end up with sort of fairly simple journeys, low emotional intensity, right? Up until very complex, very high intensity. And those, that framework or that segmentation could apply to any industry, right? You could actually have, for instance, a financial services company that has different journeys that fit into different quadrants, right? So like a a mortgage journey or buying a home journey, very complex, very intense. Opening a bank account, less complex, less intense. Same thing would go for, would apply to different types of government journeys, right? Applying for a passport versus maybe just, I don't know, signing into your local sort of municipality, right? Those are different journeys. So we wanted to use a framework that allowed us to look at different types of journeys, regardless of industry, based on their complexity and their intensity. And then from there, start exploring more deeply what the underlying emotion is for different types of journeys. So what does good look like? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question. So one of the things that came out of the research is that, so obviously in order to understand what good looks like, we need to look at the emotion. But one of the key takeaways was that a good experience is one that creates an optimal ratio of positive to negative emotions that shape customers' memories of journeys. And that was an important takeaway because I think that a lot of people equate emotion with delight and with happiness and with positive emotions. And actually what we took away from the research was when we look at journeys, when we look at at buying a home journey, it's not about having all positive emotions and the whole journey is blissful from beginning to end. That's not it. And actually having a little bit of negative emotions can actually add to the experience. So good is, of course, you're, you're helping the customer achieve their goal, right? That's why we look at journeys and not the entire life cycle. So we want to understand what's the goal that they're trying to accomplish. And we want to understand what are the key moments that happen in the journey and what is that balance of positive and negative emotions that need to be present in order to leave a, an overall positive memory for the customer, but also to help them achieve that goal. So it's about that optimal ratio. That was the sort of the key takeaway for us and understanding in more detail, what are those memory making moments? What are the emotions that customers are having? And how do those emotions actually drive different types of action within those journeys? That was actually a change in Forrester's own coverage of this too, because Mm. for so long, we used to talk about useful, easy, enjoyable, right? As Mm. the pyramid. And then we even realized that it wasn't about enjoyable. It was actually about emotion and that the emotion could range from positive to negative. And we shouldn't assume that experiences had to be only positive emotions in order for them to be good experiences. That's exactly right. Because of course, if you think about it, the emotion that I bring to, I don't know, finding the right insurance policy versus maybe buying a really cool new skirt (laughs) is totally different, right? I mean, enjoyable maybe in different ways, but the emotion, the actual starting point is very, very different. So We're interested in the contextual understanding of what that emotion should be, but also more granular understanding of different emotions at different points in the journey that actually really add to the experience. Emotions are impulses to action. And actually, sometimes negative emotions can lead to useful actions. 
right? If I feel a little bit of frustration, that can actually maybe sometimes be the energy that I need to get something done, right? Or to make sure that I ponder the decision long enough to make the right decision. So we have to think about emotions contextually to industry to the type. That's why we look at complexity and intensity of the journey, right? That it varies. But also those emotions are impulses to action, right? And we want to use those in the best way possible. I feel like even with, let's say, a utility, you might want mostly a neutral emotion, right? I came and I paid my bill and my electricity works or my gas is on or whatever. You know, that's another industry where I always heard the struggle with enjoyability was as a utility, how do I make it enjoyable? I just want it to be, I just want it to work. Yeah. That's an interesting example. And we work with a lot of utilities companies. So this conversation comes up a lot. So for instance, if we look at utilities, there is comparing different options, different energy plans. Could be a little bit frustrating, could be a little bit time consuming, but actually that is what I would call good friction in the journey because that comparison adds to my sense of self-actualization and that I've actually done my homework to find the best fit product for me and my family. That helps me to feel a, to get a sense of like, I'm caring for my family. That's an enjoyable feeling, right? So even though it's my utility, I've had a little bit of frustration that actually helps me to feel like I got the best fit for my family that actually has a positive emotion associated to it, which is I'm caring for those around me and I've made some sensible decisions. So good friction can actually sometimes lead to enjoyable emotions. But also, we know that with utilities, increasingly people are very uh, values driven, right? They want to save energy. They want to feel like they are, of course, making sustainable choices, right? So that has a very different emotional component to it. And that can, those can be very positive emotions, right? I want to make a decision that actually helps me to save the environment as well. And Mm -hmm. that I know is sort of a wise decision. So That's why the granularity of the emotions, looking at the full scope of emotions, that optimal ratio of positive to negative becomes so important. So we can actually design for that full scope of emotions, which is what good looks like (laughs) for a utilities journey where you might think, well, I just want something neutral. Actually, there's a lot more to it. Makes sense. So often when we're mapping journeys with clients, we assume that the customer comes into the picture starting from a certain emotion, but they can be coming from a range of different emotions. They could already be frustrated or they could start from a neutral position. A lot of customer support associates probably face this every day where every single caller has a different emotion they're coming in with. How do we capture that range in something that tends to be static like a journey map? Yeah, that's a great question. And a really important part of this research is actually the framework that we use to look at the emotional makeup of journeys. So that framework breaks down the emotional makeup of journeys into three components. The first one is the baseline of the journey. So that's the emotion that customers are arriving with, which you've just described. The emotional curve, which are the memory-making moments in the emotion that actually make up that emotional curve of the journey that we often map, right, in workshops, etc. And then you have the emotional punch of the journey. Those are the stories that people take away after they've had some time to digest the experience they've had and that they tell their friends and family and they tell themselves to make sense of the experience. So you have these three really important components, baseline, curve, and punch. So what you described is the baseline. 
customers arrive with different emotions. And of course, that depends on lots of different things. My personality, my personal traits, my history with the brand. Am I a first-time user? Am I a returning user? Have I had a really terrible experience in the past that's coloring and creating an expectation of the next experience I have? And so my baseline can be very different. Now, it is difficult, as you just remarked, to actually look at that at each individual customer level. It is possible because there are technologies out there that help us to do that increasingly. So if we take a data-driven approach to looking at our customer journeys, we can start to look at that individual customer level. But even if we don't do that, and if we were to sort of take a step back, okay, we can't do that. We don't have the tools in place. It's still useful to look, for instance, even at the segment level. If I compare that baseline for a customer who's had a bad experience versus a customer who is a first-time user, you know, has expectations that are set by the brand, I can still use that information to design a journey that maybe provides some reassurance or that maybe intervenes in a different way, offers maybe an escalation to a human being more soon, is sort of sooner in the journey, so that that customer who's had a bad experience can hopefully still go through a fairly pleasant journey. So we're using information about the baseline of the journey to actually create a different flow for the customer. So that's the power of understanding that baseline. And while we might not be able to analyze that for every single individual customer, I hope over time brands can do that, companies can do that, it's still very useful to look at it even in just major groupings, new users versus returning users, users with a history of bad interactions with users who maybe are, you know, or even high value customers versus other types of customers. So we can start to unpick a little bit what that baseline is. And tell us more about the curve and the punch. Yeah. So the curve is, so it's about the emotional curve of the journey and it's about memory making moments in that journey. I think the curve is actually often a relief for a lot of companies because what we're saying essentially is you don't need to measure everything in the journey. You know, when we map journeys, we map every single step and sometimes we run out of post-it notes, right? It can get really long. And what we're saying actually is for the emotional curve, what you need to understand is four key types of moments. You need to understand the high points in the journey. You need to understand the pain points, so the low points in the journey. You need to understand the tolerable low points. So these are things that could be good friction, for instance, right? There's a little bit of frustration, but I kind of know and I'm okay with it and I'm prepared to tolerate it. And then there's make or break moments in the journey that could actually help the customer complete the journey or it could derail the journey entirely. Think about a pet food buying journey, which is one of the journeys that we looked at. If my delivery service delivers the pet food and leaves it out in the sun in 30 degrees Celsius, that's going to be a really bad experience. That's a make or break moment. I am never going to order from that particular company again. So we have these four key types of moments that we need to understand. How do we identify those? Often we need to, we can use quantitative data. We can look at unstructured data to uncover some of those we often have to do some qualitative research in order to really understand what those key moments are. Once we've identified some of those key moments, we can start to measure them and we can start to ask ourselves, are we making sure that the tolerable lows remain tolerable, don't become a pain point? Are we hitting some of those highs? Are we making sure that the pain points are maybe eradicated or alleviated over time? 
And are we making sure that those make or break moments aren't getting in the way? That too helps us to create that optimal ratio of positive to negative emotion. So again, we're looking for sort of highs and lows that are important to the overall experience that the customer is having. So it helps us to prioritize what we're actually looking at. You don't need to look at everything, but you do need to look at different types of emotions and find a balance in those different types of moments. The punch is really important, and it's one that is surprising as well to a lot of clients often because actually it kind of shakes up our assumptions about where a journey begins and ends. So often when we think about the end of the journey, we think about the customer, they've just bought our product, and that's it, they're done. And hopefully if they've completed the journey, they've had a delightful experience. Well, that might not be the case. So again, I might have bought some pet food and I'm very happy, feeling great that I've made a really good choice, really healthy choice for my pets. And I try and feed it to my pet. And unfortunately, they reject the food. So the punchline for that, for that journey is actually, I've invested all of this time looking for the perfect food for my pet. And now I've gone and paid this money. There's a massive package of this food in my house. I don't have anywhere to store it and my pet won't eat it. So the punch is obviously a negative one in this case overall, right? I have to make a different choice. And so if I only looked at completion of the journey, yes, the customers bought the product, I would totally miss out on potentially some useful information. So the punch is really about, it sort of challenges us to think differently about when we're asking the customer for that punch, right? Are we actually asking them at the right moment? Are we maybe checking in with customers after they've had some time to digest the experiences? So the timing of our surveys becomes very important, for instance. In that case, digest is pun intended. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> I wish he digested it, yeah. Um, and, uh, and that punch is so powerful if we understand that. One, because it's full of insights about how we can make that journey even better for customers often and whether we actually reach that optimal ratio of emotion, but also because it helps us to challenge assumptions we're making about completion of the journey being an indicator that the experience is good, right? We spoke to people who had gotten a mortgage, they bought a house, and you know, obviously they completed the journey, they have the mortgage. When we asked them about the punch, they told us that they were enraged with their financial services provider, their mortgage wow. provider. And the minute that they could and that they were able to, they were going to look for a different provider. So that is obviously something that you would want to know if you have more customers feeling that way, that's huge, right? So that punch can be so incredibly valuable. And if we're not measuring that, we could have journey completion metrics that are very misleading. I also, I loved in the report how with the pet food example, you talked about how it might not be even that you come home with the food and the pet eats it and loves it, but that three months later, when you go to the vet, the vet validates for you that the pet is healthy and doing well. And you get that satisfaction of this professional is telling me that I'm doing a good job as a pet parent. And that's not an obvious connection that you would make. But any of us who have pets are like, of course, yeah. when the vet gives you that, that positive feedback. You, yeah. You know, you like get- I just bought a scale for my dog because I'm <laughs> yeah. like, is he getting fat? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I care about that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. That is so important. And why is that so important? Because that's one of the highs that people are looking for in that journey. That came up as a high. They want those compliments from the vet and the breeder and even from like 
a mother-in-law who comes and visits and says, oh, your pet looks so healthy, right? We're looking for that kind of reassurance. That is a high, a really important high in the journey. So if we're missing out on that, that's going to have an impact on that overall experience of the journey. I just love that example because when you articulate it, it's so obvious to those of us who have pets that, that that's true. But if I worked for a pet food company, it would never occur to me to think about that as the punch. Yeah, absolutely. If I didn't do the research to understand the journey. Right. Unless you are also supporting all of this with great culture work where people really understand their customers or even are the customer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is why actually from a culture point of view, it's so important that we also mirror our customers and our employee base, or is it the other way around, but that we make sure that we have people working in our organizations that deeply understand how customers think about these things, because you've got free qualitative research that you can do right there in order to understand your customers better. But that's one of the really important takeaways from this research as well, is also the balance that is needed between quantitative and qualitative research in order to really understand what good looks like and to be able to understand the emotional makeup of a journey. The baseline, the curve, and the punch, right? This cannot be done only with quantitative research. You need the qualitative. And actually, the qualitative helps you because if you've identified those key moments, it helps you to then prioritize. What are the things that I then need quantitative data on in order to understand the magnitude of some of these things? That makes a ton of sense. So for anyone who wants to get a better understanding of of what the baseline curve and punch look like for their most important journeys, what are the couple of things that they should do to get started? Yeah, that's a great question. So to get started, some advice that's maybe a little bit controversial that we gave in the report as well is that you should probably start with the punch for some of your key journeys. A little bit counterintuitive. Oh, interesting. Why is that? Because by digging into some of your existing data and assuming that you have some unstructured data or some great sort of insight in your call center notes, for instance, or even just talk to your employees to try and understand that, looking at those nuanced emotions that come out of the stories that people tell when they are trying to make sense of an experience will actually help you to prioritize which journeys you need to focus most on, right? So you'll be able to tell what are the most intense journeys, where might there be some problems where completion is not a good indicator of a good experience. So that will help you to prioritize. It will also help you to start to unpick some of those more nuanced emotions so that you start to understand those. It helps you challenge as well whether you're actually surveying or asking questions to your customers at the right time. So sort of resetting your assumptions about the end of your journey. So I would recommend starting there. It's often somewhere where a lot of companies haven't really looked at and started. But so use your existing data, start digging into that to understand that punch of the journey because it tells the complete story, right? It's kind of like, what do I take away from this experience? And then it'll give you a good reading of which journeys you need to prioritize potentially. The next thing I would recommend is to use the segmentation framework that is in the report. So it's looking at the complexity of the journey. So that's the number of channels, the number of steps that are involved in the journey and the intensity of the journey, which is related to the fear of missing out or how many people in your household does that journey impact, right? So if you, if you take some of your key journeys and you plot them on that two by two, 
that will give you at least a starting point in terms of the baseline of the journey. What do you do with that? You can start. So if you know you have a high anxiety journey, then you can work with your design team to actually look at, hey, how are we setting the tone for this particular journey? Are we reassuring customers or are we overwhelming them on a high anxiety journey, right? So that gives you some actionable things to start to do in terms of designing the beginning of your journey. And then I would say you have to do the qualitative research. There's no other way around it in order to understand those four all important moments in your journey, those memory making moments in the journey, but that's maybe the part that you need more time to do. But again, there, speaking to your employees, even doing a small sample of interviews, right? A focus group with your customers or even employees that are representative of your customer base can help you to start to create a picture of what that emotional curve is. So start with a punch to start to understand those more nuanced stories and emotions to identify which journeys you maybe need to focus on, prioritize first, then use the simple segmentation to kind of get an idea, an initial reading of the baseline, and then do a little bit of that qualitative research in order to start to understand the moment in the journey. Because one thing that we haven't talked about yet, which is really important, is also to blend measurement into this, right? So we are looking at the baseline, we're looking at the curve, we're looking at the punch, and we want to make sure we're using metrics to tell us whether, for instance, we're setting the wrong tone at the beginning of the journey, right? If people are dropping off really early in your journey, that means that there's probably something that you're not doing right in terms of, for instance, alleviating a lot of anxiety at the beginning of the journey. Once you know the moments in the emotional curve, then you can be much more focused on which metrics do I need for which moment so that I know whether I'm hitting those highs and those lows aren't becoming pain points or tolerable lows. And again, your punch, you also need to make sure that you are measuring not just completion of the journey, but that you're checking in with your customers later or that you're tracking things like customer lifetime value to make sure that that completion was actually indicative of loyalty in the long term. So you have to blend metrics into the framework in order to make it actionable for your organization. I mean, it's a lot, but it starts simple. It starts with emotion. So it's an awesome framework for folks to take on, understand their customers better. And it's a nice introduction to things like journey orchestration. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, which, which can be scary. <laughs> it can be scary. Absolutely. But it's, this framework helps us to also get started in thinking about, okay, if we are going to, or if we want to orchestrate journeys, how could we use this to guide the kind of flow that we're creating to orchestrate certain experiences for customers? So it is, it is all interconnected, the mapping, the emotion, the orchestration, you know, which is why we keep on writing reports about this. Well, there's always something new to talk about. Thank you so much, Joanna, for joining us and for telling us about your latest research. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Fantastic. Thank you. Always a pleasure to be here. Everyone, that was Joanna de Quindania, who is a VP and Principal Analyst on the Customer Experience team. Thanks for joining us on the CX Cast, and we'll see you next time.